0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here's what's on the John Oakley Show podcast for Wednesday, August 26, 2020. We learned that there will be no criminal charges for Toronto police in the death of Regis Kurczynski paquette The University of Toronto gets bad grades on the subject of back to school. And we have your favorite topics worthy of discussion all coming up right now.
1: My name is Constable Carolyn DeClute, and I am here today to introduce Chief James Raymer who will be responding to the SIU report. Chief?
2: Thank you. I have received this afternoon the Special Investigations Unit report into the deaths of Miss Regis korczynski paquet As detailed in the SIU's release today, multiple urgent calls were made to 911 seeking assistance for a domestic disturbance involving an assault weapons, and multiple people. As it was a priority call for emergency response, the Toronto Police Service were dispatched and arrived within minutes. Toronto paramedics were also present. What happened next was the subject of the SIU's investigation. The Toronto Police Service and each of the officers involved in this tragic event, incident, participated fully in the SIU's investigation. The service had also publicly urged any witnesses to contact the SIU to ensure all information was available to the independent investigation. As they outlined today, the SIU has cleared our officers of wrongdoing and determined that they acted appropriately and within the law. The trust of the public is of paramount importance to us as a police service. As such, it is very important that the full timeline and the facts from all sides have been released and the details of a very volatile scene to which the officers arrived and tried to manage are now available. Our officers are highly trained to deal with intense, dynamic situations and they acted professionally and followed their training to the best of their abilities and in the interests of a family that was in distress. Although our officers were clear of finding that I fully stand behind, there is a no win in this tragic situation for anyone. A young woman lost her life. Her family lost their daughter, sister, and cousin. And the service again offers its deepest sympathies. This is a profound event for the officers involved and for the Toronto Police Service. There are significant and profound impacts uh, to officers when they tend calls of this nature that go badly. When officers uh, decide to join this profession they do it because it's a helpful profession. And sometimes we go to calls that have tragic consequences and the officers will walk away asking themselves questions that have the deep questions that, that cause pain that they must confront as well. So we need to understand all the dimensions that are involved in a tragedy such as this so that the healing, the learning, and the moving forward can continue. Sometimes there's just simply no individual that can be faulted for the occurrence or the tragedy that has happened. It's just a tragic set of circumstances that um, we must endeavor to try to prevent again by learning from it. At this stage, in accordance with the Police Services Act, the Toronto Police Service must conduct its own review into this incident, what's commonly referred to as a Section 11 report. I want to assure our communities that the services section 11 review will include an impartial, unbiased review of our policies and conduct in this case. I have been having discussions to have a mental health professional assist in this review. Our report will be submitted to the Toronto Police Services Board upon completion. I want to close by acknowledging the officers involved. They acted professionally, were empathetic and accountable and they responded in accordance with their training. And I also want to again convey our deepest sympathies to the family and friends of Ms. Regis korczynski Paquette. Thank you.
1: We will now begin with questions. You may ask one question and one follow-up. We will begin with Ashley Legasic from News Talk 1010. Go ahead.
3: There we go. Um, Hi Chief, thank you so much for taking my question. Um, The SIU said in its report today that nobody other than Regis was on the balcony when she attempted to scale it and reach a neighboring one. The director specifically mentioned the allegations that Regis was pushed are untrue. Now that the investigation has concluded, at least the SIU investigation, what do you have to say about those allegations and will there be any repercussions against anyone who made them?
2: you know the, the events of that evening were a traumatic event for everyone involved including family and i, I don't see uh, the need for any further discussion on that point or in terms of that investigation
3: thank you uh my next question uh it's been made clear that regis was alone on the balcony when she fell now that the investigation uh on the siu side is over Um, hopefully you'll be able to speak more at length about this but why was she alone on the balcony? When there's a tense situation like that why allow someone who may be going through a challenging time to be on a 24th floor balcony by herself? Are there going to be any policy changes around this?
2: Well as I indicated I think they they, well the SIU indicated I'm sorry uh, I think they went into great great detail over the circumstances of how that transpired Uh, but as part of our section 11 review, we will be looking at if there are ways to do better. And that's one of the reasons I've had some discussions uh, with some mental health professionals to examine the possibility of them uh, overseeing and reviewing the circumstances to assist us in that regard.
1: Anybody else with questions at this time?
2: Yeah, I've got a question, please. Chanel from CP24.
3: Go ahead, Chanel. Uh, Chief, thanks for taking my question. Just based on what you've seen in this report today, uh, just wondering in your assessment, could Toronto Police have done anything more to prevent Regis from dying?
2: I, I think we tried our best on that day and we'll examine everything again to see if we can do better
3: and if I could add one more question um, there have since been some calls for perhaps a different type of response to mental health incidents can you speak about any changes Toronto Police will be making to calls like this one in the future?
2: Well actually we're working with the board on that it's part of their recent board report and the 81 recommendations so we're looking to uh, expand our MCIT program with a view to also uh, re-energizing some of Justice Akabuchi's reports uh, uh, recommendations from 2014, and to look at alternate uh, other uh, other options as well, engaging, working with the city of Toronto and using some medical health professionals to work with us to look at alternate responses. So, in fa- so hopefully we can uh, have less in police involvement uh, uh, on certain occasions and we can have medical, prof- divert them to a medical professional.
1: Thank you. Ashley Legasic, News Talk 1010, go ahead with your question. Hi,
3: sorry, thank you so much for, for taking another one from me. I appreciate it. Um, this is uh, just coming into my desk. So my colleagues just spoke with the lawyer representing the Korchinski-Paquet family, Nia Singh, who said he's disappointed with the report and that the police owed Regis a duty of care as soon as they got there. Uh, Chief, what's your response to that specifically?
2: It's again. I think it's it's all outlined in the um, report by the SIU. I think uh, our officers tried their best, and unfortunately, in this circumstances, we've had a tragic outcome. As I as as I alluded to it earlier, it's a very very difficult event.
1: Next question is from Austin Delaney, CTV. Go ahead with your question.
2: Hi, Chief. I just
1: just want to
3: clarify this this review is mandatory and can you get a little bit more deep into more detail of what you'll be
4: looking at and what you hope to find out and change?
2: Uh, with a, a Section 11 is a review and it we, we examine our procedures, our policies, our supervision and it's a mandatory review that I'm compelled to do under the Police Services Act and uh, as I indicated earlier for the first time uh, we're going to look at uh, having a, a mental health professional work with us on that review to see if, with a different lens, we can get some uh, recommendations that we that might help us to, to, to do even better uh, in this type of situation in the future.
0: Is there anything that
2: stands out that, uh, that you, you think might be addressed? Uh, At this point in time, no, I can't comment. What I will say is that uh, the SIU investigation was very thorough and it examined each and every piece of evidence and the the conduct of each of the officers involved in great detail. So uh, I'm very confident in the report and and, and the
0: outcome. Thank you.
1: That concludes the conference today. Thank you for joining us
0: parental anxiety surrounding the return to school for the kids in the primary and secondary grades uh, may still leave a gap in funding so uh, he's come with a parcel of dough uh, the safe return to class fund two billion dollars of which the government here in Ontario is slated to get 381 million uh, and another tranche again which could add up to over 700 million in January should the need arise and the way it'll be dispersed is uh, kind of interesting in and of itself but you know it's more than just the uh kids in elementary and secondary grades where there's uh, i guess a lot of anxiety over the return to school the reopening plan at the u of t is likewise uh coming under i guess some uh criticism and discussion and to that end i wanted to bring in terizia zorich here who is uh the president of the university of toronto faculty association they had a meeting the other night a virtual meeting and apparently there were a lot of unresolved issues so will students feel confident going back to the u of t or other colleges and universities terizia good to have you on the oakley show good afternoon good afternoon thanks for having me on your program john Well, I appreciate you coming on. I just wanted to know what are the concerns that are roiling the campus that I once called my own? Uh, What's going on there? Why are there some uh, criticisms about the U of T's plans for the return to school?
5: Yeah, there are some criticisms by U of T's own uh, professors of public health Uh, These professors are world-class experts who the World Health Organization and the federal government and the provincial government are listening to carefully. But the University of Toronto administration is not. Um, Another group the U of T administration isn't listening to is this coalition I'm part of. I'm the president of the Faculty Association and five other unions have joined together. Uh, We represent 20,000 people who work on the U of T campus. Mm. And we've been asking for weeks and weeks for the administration to sit down with us. So when they wouldn't, um, preferring to try to divide and conquer, we held what we thought would be a really good educational seminar to lay out our concerns. And uh, I think we did so quite persuasively to the almost 400 people who attended.
0: Well, the other thing is, I guess, uh, going very public with some of these concerns. And, in fact, the uh, experts that you cite in-house, Dr. David Fisman, who's an epidemiologist at the U of T's Dalai Lana School of Public Health, and I know he's been cited as an expert when it comes to, you know, uh, international, uh, he's of international renown. Uh, he gave the school a failing grade or a D on its return to school plans and policy. <laughs> so I guess... Yeah. Uh, He's a credible voice in all of this, I guess we could say. uh, Why is he not listened to? Any idea?
5: Um, I I do have some idea. And and to put it in context, um, U of T is just about the only university in Ontario that's trying to come back to work as much or, you know, back to -to face-to-face teaching as much as they are. Um, It's my sense that the University of Toronto, which is a great university, doesn't understand where its greatness comes from. It doesn't come from administrators who make decisions without listening. It comes from fantastic professors, fantastic librarians, other staff, great students, um, really engaged people. And I think this is a case, to be blunt, of management overreach, where they think that they have a right to make a decision that you can't in good conscience make without two groups. One, your in-house experts and two, the leaders of the people who work um, work at the university, actually, and three, and the very students. Students are complaining because they're not being listened to either.
0: Teresia, so help me understand, is it pretty much uh, replicating the concerns of parents for kids going to elementary and secondary schools imminently here, I guess, in the 15th of September in the province? Do you uh, see the idea of masks, class size, ventilation, and all the rest? Are these concerns?
5: There's, there's a huge overlap, I guess you know um, ventilation at an um, ventilation issues in schools that are old are a serious problem. U of T has all kinds of buildings that are 150 years old, so those are very similar. I would guess the University of Toronto St. George campus on the whole has older buildings than most uh, most Ontario schools. Class sizes are an issue, but maybe maybe a different magnitude. You know, people correctly think 30 students in a in an elementary classroom is an outrageous number. Um, at a meeting with a vice president of the University of Toronto, I heard that if public health would allow them, they'd like to put 107 students in a class. Classes are opening right now with 60 students in them. 80 students will be normalized. So we really have a problem with the huge numbers, but also... Um, You know, I guess the thing that might be different about the fight between us and the University of Toronto administration is we have in-house expertise that could not be any better or any more specific. And what we've asked for is for them to reveal to us, you know, what testing have you done on ventilation? Show it to us and we'll give you world-class advice as to whether this is good enough. So I guess maybe what's the same and what's different is that we have world-class experts that are being kept out of the equation and aren't being shown the documents they need to see to even know how dangerous it might be, even while they're doing research that others are citing around the world.
0: Yeah, they could get this gratis. I mean, but you know what they say, sometimes a prophet in his own land without honor, right?
5: (laughs) Um, I thought you were going to say the, you know, the cobbler has the worst shoes or something like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the cobbler's uh, children have no shoes. Uh, That's right. (laughs) There's that too. I mean, we can go uh, do that dance of metaphors here or uh, whatever. So, you know, you cite the uh, number of students in a class. Boy, I remember some of the lecture halls, Sid Smith, 600 people, but uh, they're going to winnow that down. It says here that uh, you estimate up to five percent of students at the undergraduate and graduate levels will be on the three campuses for courses compared to last year. Only five percent.
5: Well, this is funny because it's not it's not so dispersed, and and you know I need to I need to point out this real contradiction, John. When they are trying to encourage students to believe that they're going to have a normal university experience, which I regard as just completely impossible i mean it's what we all want for them i wish Mm. it for people not that i wish 600 person classes but you know nice face-to-face teaching which we generally all prefer to do this online stuff is harder but it's safer but when the university administration is advertising how you're going to have a normal in-person experience they emphasize that there's going to be a lot going on that's face-to-face but when they're trying to minimize it To answer health and safety questions, they say almost nothing's going to be going on. Here's what we know. Before we put up the pressure, they said that a majority of graduate students would be, graduate classes would be face-to-face. About a third of undergraduate classes would be face-to-face. And a majority in some divisions. So engineering will be completely online. But before we stepped up the pressure, arts and science was going to be about a third in person. So um, there'll be about 5,000 students on campus in any given week. Think about the impact of 5,000 students and staff and faculty on the TTC who could have been majority working at home.
0: Boy, it'll kill the pub crawls, I remember fondly. But uh, And by the way, you know, uh, that has raised the more serious aspect of some students feeling they're being deprived, especially the freshmen uh, and women, uh, that this is not the total university experience. They'd like to see a reduction in, say, fees. Uh, is that something that would even be considered because of being be deprived of things like, you know, their frosh week orientation and all the rest of that?
5: Well... Um, this is a case where I agree with the students, but with a proviso, you know, we've seen dropping levels of government funding over, you know, um, over the last 20 years, effectively. And there is a problem that tuition is too high. It's too high even when you do have all the bells and whistles of, a, you know, of a really engaged university experience that happens other than during a pandemic. University tuition excludes too many people, but the answer there is to cut tuition in place of government funding stepping up. It actually costs more money right now to do online teaching, to try to do all the things we do. Professors are working harder than ever. Uh, Instructors are working harder than ever. People are learning things they didn't learn before. You can't put 600 people on your Zoom call and try to figure it out. Um, So it is actually um, a difficult time for everybody, and my heart goes out to those students. I'm supportive of their ask for more affordable education, but it's got to be as a result of increased government funding.
0: And so I guess we're not going to resolve this going back to school with all of the protocols in place that you'd like to see. Uh, School is slated to start when, next week or the week after?
5: It's going to be approximately in keeping with when the elementary and secondary students are going back, but it's never too late to say you learned something you didn't know before. Every week there's a new study that comes out that says, for example, I'll I'll give you two things I learned in the last week, that the risk um, of having 10 people in a classroom goes up exponentially when you hit 40. They don't yet know where the... Inflection point is where it becomes really brutal, but you want to keep your numbers closer to ten than to forty. Studies now confirm this. Second thing I learned was that there's been a bit of an issue. What about um, what about transmission? Um, it, are you more are you more likely to spread this disease once you have symptoms or when you don't? And the funny thing is, it's the day before you begin to show symptoms that you're probably most likely to spread the disease. So these two things are emerging science. So when you say, oh, we're going to have people who have symptoms stay at home. What about the fact that we've just learned that the people who have no symptoms might be the most likely to spread the disease? That means you should probably take a take a pause, say you don't know everything you think you know, and maybe you want to take a little more time to get your plan right. There's no shame in saying you've learned something and it's time to adjust according to that learning that is what would make a great university.
0: We'll see uh, if they're capable of calling the so-called audible at the line. There's another metaphor. Uh, Theresa, I appreciate your joining us and telling us your concerns from the university level because so much has been focused on the elementary and secondary schools. Thanks so much for your time. Wish you the best going forward.
5: Thanks so much, John.
0: You got it. Theresa Zorich, again, is the uh, president of the University of Toronto Faculty Association. All right, let's get busy. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636, or you can prepay as you pre-order so there's contactless delivery by going to the Pizzaville app or at pizzaville.ca. Midweek edition, sees our friend Ernie Eves, a former Premier and Finance Minister here in the province of Ontario. Joining us, how's Ernie doing?
6: I'm great. How are you, John?
0: Likewise, fine. And Lindsay Broadhead is likewise with us, Communications and Issues Management Consultant with Broadhead Communications. Lindsay, good to have you back on the program, albeit virtually. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming on. You know, Lindsay, i got to ask you, maybe first of all, because, uh, you know, we're seeing so many issues that are roiling, uh, you know, the public discourse, and uh, we've just seen the situation here in this town with uh, the tragedy surrounding... Uh, Regis Kuczynski-Paquette and the SIU investigation and then lawyers for the family, uh, you know, they're disputing some of the findings and uh, they've got their own independent inquiry and autopsy and so on and so forth. And then you've got the situation with Jacob Blake in the States. I'm, I'm asking you primarily because you're a communications and issues management consultant. I mean, how do you manage the communications on these stories that come out? I mean, they're so fraught uh, and, you know, rife with all kinds of uh, emotion uh, if you're, say, on the police side of things, or the family, so that they, the narrative doesn't get away from you initially without knowing all the facts? How do you manage something like that?
4: Well, if, if you're speaking about uh, from the police side, I think it's very very difficult. Uh, anecdotally, I was speaking to a police officer from Toronto the other day, and he was saying, you know, it's difficult because, in Toronto anyway, his perspective, they're trying their best. They're not perfect, but they're trying their best. And, um, but their uh, entire profession is coloured by uh, everything that's happening, particularly in the states and elsewhere. So I think you have to not only do well, but do it better and keep talking and talking and talking about uh, what it is you're doing to make the system better, acknowledge where there's faults. Um, And I think what we're seeing right now is, um, what we're going to see anyway, is an undoing of how police forces across north america conduct themselves there's going to have to be greater uh transparency uh and a whole bunch more accountability
0: yeah it's interesting you say that because the interim chief james raymer in his own presser following the announcement or the report from the siu was saying you know uh we can do better uh there are some things that we're going to look at under the police services act uh so i appreciate that i mean you know They've got to understand that, uh, yeah, they're not perfect and therefore don't get defensive. Your point is well taken. Ernie, how about you? I mean, you watch this uh, and you're a veteran of uh, all kinds of things when there's public tumult. Is this going to subside after the U.S. election? I'm talking about the stuff in the states. Uh, What's it going to take to tamp this down? Or is it possible to even put the genie back in a bottle?
6: Well, I think, uh, as Lindsay says, I think there's going to have to be more transparency in how Uh, Police forces operate um, here, too, but especially south of the border. Pardon me. I think they have a lot more problems than we do, Uh, easy for me to say. But until there is substantial movement south of the border in terms of uh, policing, um, you saw what happened with with Mr. Blake. It was just terrible. I mean, if you watch that clip. I mean, there's absolutely no excuse for following somebody around the front of a vehicle with three kids in the back and shooting him in the back seven times as he's trying to get into his vehicle. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The guy was wearing a T-shirt and shorts. He obviously did not have a weapon. I mean, I just don't understand. There's two police officers, and they can't physically contain him if that's what they thought they had to do without using a firearm and shooting somebody in the back. I just think it's ridiculous. So when you have incidences like that, as Lindsay said, it, you know, unfortunately taints the whole law enforcement area, and it it shouldn't because the overwhelming majority of, uh, you know, law enforcement officers, I believe, you know, they have a very, very difficult job. They're on the front lines every day, and they're trying to do the best that they possibly can, and I think we do do it better here than they do south of the border.
0: Yeah, even though the case of the uh, Kaczynski-Paquette family, uh, they're being very critical of the SIU, thinking they dropped the ball, and the officers, at least one of them, had a duty of care because uh, he was in that apartment once he crossed the threshold. And now this is getting into the weeds, some of the stuff that was mentioned by the legal representation for the family uh, earlier this afternoon, so I won't bog it down on that before I move on to other matters. But, Ernie, let me stay with you because the Milwaukee Bucks are going to boycott Game 5 against the Orlando Magic because of what happened to Mr. Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, Would you support if all teams decided they wanted to boycott uh, and not play the game? Does that make sense? Is that making a statement of significance?
6: Well, I think if all teams want to boycott, it will make a statement. If one team does, I mean, I'm not belittling their efforts, but, you know, so they're going to lose that game or four foot that game. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. But when you're doing, when you're getting into this, it's easy to get into stuff like this. What is the game plan for getting out? Okay, so all teams in the NBA decide they're going to boycott all the playoff games from here on out. Well, that's certainly going to hurt um, the teams, the owners, financially. It's certainly going to turn up the of the public as to what the problem is. But when do you end it? Do you end it when the legislation changes in the state? Uh, when some positive action is taken? Well, that's going to be months and months, if not a year, regardless of who wins the next election. It isn't happening overnight. So you have to understand what it is you want out of the action you're taking. Before you take it, I would suggest, and I'm not belittling what they're what they're doing. They have every right to do it and more power to them. But have they thought where this ends?
0: Well, even if it's a one off and it's one game and uh, to your point, if they forfeit now, maybe the Orlando Magic would also, uh, you know, have to boycott. So they they stand down and uh, it's a wash. But if they don't, uh, I don't know if there's peer pressure regarding this. If it goes throughout the league, is a one-off enough to uh, get people's attention and make a statement, Lindsay?
4: Uh, well, I, I really support a lot of what Ernie said. But just as a, as a slight counterpoint, I mean, it, a lot of these uh, waves of demonstration that we saw rooted in sport, it started with one guy going down on his knee, right? And that could have ended there. Um, but it didn't, and it, it took hold, and it was a wave. And with basketball in particular, you know, it has incredibly strong roots um, in, in the black community across North, North America. And, um, you know, the, the finances, the fans, um, they're all connected, uh, I'd say more than other sports, um, to that black community. So I think it's a really strong... Uh, display of action um and one where you know unlike a u.s football that we saw you know months or i lost track of time now but in the previous seasons where it was more controversial um i think the basketball uh, uh enterprises would support this kind of work but i, I take uh what ernie's saying as, as an important point too uh, you know the question is will someone else now uh go down on one knee as it were or or is this a one-shot deal
0: Well, the Raptors are considering boycotting their first game against the Boston Celtics in the NBA playoffs. Uh, Nick Nurse, the coach, saying he's leaving it up to the players. He's just willing to listen. If they want to do that, now, obviously, there's a lot of emotionalism surrounding this, and there was, you know, in the immediate aftermath, so they're talking it up now. Uh, We're just going to have to wait and see if that's a decision they'll make collectively uh, or certain players will recuse themselves again uh, ernie eves former premier and finance minister Lindsay broadhead communications and issues management consultant with broadhead communications let me pivot to something else i'm kind of curious and Lindsay, i'll ask you again when it comes to communications and sort of deconstructing what's the subtext of this one justin trudeau comes to town to this town specifically <laughs> to announce uh, a big program another one of them uh, the safe return to class fund two billion dollars which this province will receive $381 million, you know, to allocate for more teachers and more PPE and uh, retention for school bus drivers and right across the board to allay the anxieties of the parents, Justin Trudeau was saying, uh, that he's heard. And so he came to Ontario to make that case. And punctuate the point. What's going on? Uh, some people have criticized, <laughs> saying he's grandstanding. Uh, is he helping his buddy Doug Ford out, who's now tight with Karisha uh, Freeland? What do you think the subtext of this play was? Because it's, by the way, provincial jurisdiction education is.
4: Right. And I, I mean, I could talk about this one forever. Um, it's uh, And it happens on different levels. At, at one level, there's a mutual love-in uh, between the federal liberals and the provincial Tories, because they have a mutual problem um, and they each suffer from uh, the concept of unity, right? So, uh, on a federal level, certainly, uh, you know, both, well, both Trudeau and Ford, there have many similarities actually sometimes, um, have done well during COVID. Um, and I think they've played well overall to broader audiences across party lines. Um, but uh, this is an opportunity for Trudeau to. Uh, go west a little bit uh, and and appeal to uh, a, a different audience that he's definitely going to need. He doesn't have many Liberal uh, premiers, none, uh, mm-hmm. at the table who are going to support him. So he, he needs a Doug Ford, and Doug Ford needs uh, Trudeau back. Uh, he, he's going to be facing uh, an election in the next year or so, um, and there's uncertainty about why he was voted in. Was it just a backlash against the Liberals, or does he actually hold a larger vote? um so that's one layer um i'll I'll perhaps let ernie jump in but i think we could unpack this one for a while
0: all right well ernie to you i mean if you were in that position you're the premier of ontario and somebody comes into your precinct and decides they're going to bequeath this largesse uh, a two billion dollar overall program to all the premiers but specifically he came to toronto to announce that what do you read into that
6: well uh... I mean, obviously, if you're the Premier of Ontario, you accept all the help you can get, uh, especially with respect to the school and education issue. Uh, You're not going to turn that down, and of course you're going to welcome it from the uh, federal government's point of view. I think they see this as an opportunity to try and uh, you know, elate, but uh, also um, give the appearance that they're doing something, and they are doing something. Um, I don't know that didn't you say it was a two billion dollar fund, and we're getting three hundred and eighty-one million?
0: Yeah, up front and well, uh, the
6: second twenty percent of the money.
0: Well, hold on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it's one billion now. One billion in January, oh. if we're oh, good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the second tranche would lead to a total over seven hundred million, and it would fund uh, all kinds of things, as I was saying earlier, like. Uh, Fifty million for a projected second wave of the pandemic. A uh, hundred million for other school board priorities. That's a one-time investment. Uh, Seventy million for teachers. The hundred million, by the way, could be ventilation, HVAC, and all the rest. Uh, more cleaning. Twenty-five million. Thirty-six million for remote learning. Uh, so, Lindsay, the idea that you know, Justin Trudeau has heard the plaintive cries of the teachers who are saying there's uh, the class size is too big, and parents who are concerned as well. So he rides to the rescue. Is he, in a way, playing, you know, the cavalry over the hill and seeking to exploit this politically, uh, or am I being naive?
4: I don't think you're being naive. I think there's two things happening, Um, and I'm, uh, you know, I I lean heavily on a a view on this one, is, yes, he, you know, Trudeau has an interest in uh, putting money towards where he needs votes. I I don't think that is new in, in the world of politics at all. Um, But I do believe that um, Ford really played uh, the education file horribly uh, on this one. He mishandled uh, the planning of this far too late in the game, um, and he didn't listen to his constituents at all. Um, He reached out to some scientists, but didn't really listen to the full uh, health and science community at all. Um, and as I said, he didn't listen to parents. And I think he's trying to play a lot of political games um, uh, with teachers as well. Um, you know, sometimes I would defend some of Ford's actions. But in this case, I the the $309 uh, million that he has put towards, uh, towards education in his plan, uh, it simply doesn't uh, add up or address the core issue, uh, which everyone needs to... Uh, there's only one issue to to talk about, and that is distancing, right? Smaller class sizes. And he needed to start planning uh, well in advance to actually meet the needs of uh, Ontarians, and he didn't do that.
0: And yet uh, he's boasting, as he does uh, repeatedly, we have the safest and most cautious plan in the country. He said it again today. I wrote it down. Uh, Ernie, I'll give you a last point to punctuate this thing. Is he actually doing enough? Did he drop the ball? Uh, could he foresee, you know, where this was headed? How do you see it?
6: Well, I don't think that, you know, if you're talking about, are you going to make sure that no student ever gets COVID, I don't think that's possible. Um, you're never going to do enough in the eyes of a lot of people in, in this regard. Uh, he is doing more than any other provinces and any other premier is in the country. Uh, the question is, is it enough? And I appreciate I certainly appreciate the social distancing aspect of this. It's huge. But there are, you know, many different school boards and many different schools in the province, some of the whom will have no problem implementing social distancing and class sizes. Or I shouldn't say no problem, but it won't be as severe as it is perhaps in large metropolitan areas like the, like the Toronto School Board, of course. That's, that's a totally different ball game, and you'd have to plan literally for probably months, if not years, if you're going to restructure every school, structurally alter every school with respect to ventilation, um, hire, I mean, I think the the Liberal Party of Ontario came out with a plan that called for $1.2 billion to hire something like 1,200 teachers or something. Um, you know, uh, you'd never have enough money to do this absolutely foolproof. And even if you spent that kind of money, I don't think it would be foolproof. I'm not, I'm not. You know, I'm not discounting. Look at my daughter's two young kids who are going to be going back to school in a couple of weeks. I'm certainly concerned about them, and I'm sure that every parent and every grandparent is. And you want to make sure they're, they're as safe as possible. But I do think there are different circumstances for each and every different school board, if not each and every school.
0: This has been the Oakley Show podcast for Wednesday, August 26, 2020. You can listen live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 Eastern. Turn the dial to 640. Listen live at 640toronto.com or search the name John Oakley on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.